Uh, we're going to be doing something a little bit different this morning. We had been in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, but when the schedule came out, there was a blank spot next to my name, so apparently Ecclesiastes is not happening today. Maybe Jeff didn't quite trust me. That's not it. So I get to go in a completely different direction. So we're going to be in the book of Joshua, uh, looking at Joshua chapters 4 and 5. And because we're jumping kind of into the middle of the story, I'm going to give you a little bit of a kind of a historical recap of where we are and what's been going on in the story so that you're caught up by the time we start reading the text today. So Israel, God's people, have been in captivity for like a a few hundred years. Um, Not a great time. They've been slaves in Egypt. And God led them out through Moses, through plagues, through miraculous signs. He parted the Red Sea so they could escape on dry ground from the pursuing uh, Egyptians. He's done miraculous things. God brought Moses up to, the, to Mount Sinai to give him the law. They decided, oh, he's been gone five days. He's probably dead. Let's make an idol. And they worshiped that instead. And kind of the ups and downs of them wandering in the desert, complaining, God giving them food, saying, God, we'd rather have steak. Why are you giving this bread to us? Come on. Oh, gosh, God, we had it so much better in Egypt. We should go back and be slaves again. So you kind of that grumbling back and forth. They finally get to the edge of the promised land, the land that God has said, this is yours. This is your inheritance. I have promised this. I'm giving it to you. And they send 12 spies to scope out the land. Smart. Makes sense. Every tribe of Israel gets a spy. So they go in there. They check it out. Ten of them come back and say, we're all going to die. These people are huge. They're going to kill us. There's no way we can do this. What were we thinking? We should have stayed in Egypt. This is a disaster. Two, Joshua and Caleb said, are you kidding me? Do you know who God is? Do you remember that one time like he, you know, parted a body of water and you walked through it? No, I guess not. Okay, come on, we can do this. God is for us. What can stand against us? And the people said, nope, we're out. We can't do this. So God graciously replies, says, okay, your generation is not going to see the promised land. You're not going to get to go in. You don't believe, you don't know, think that I can do this. Like, okay, you're going to go back in the desert and you're going to wander around until that generation dies out. Well, they kind of awoke to their senses at that point and said, just kidding. No, no, no. We think it's a great idea. Let's go. We'll take it. God said, don't do it. I'm not with you. This is not the plan. That ship has sailed. And they said, no, no, we got it. So they went and attacked and got obliterated got their butts kicked. Not a high point. And then they go around and they wander around in the desert 40 years, just kind of walking in circles, waiting for that generation to die out. And now where we're at in the story, they've come to the edge of the Jordan River. They're looking. The promised land is right over there. Finally, finally they are there. Finally, they're about to get their inheritance. And you can imagine, there's probably some feelings going on of, wow, it's about time. Or man, I really wish those guys hadn't been that dumb. Or, are we all about to die? But that's where we're at in the story. And Joshua has taken on the mantle of leadership. God said, you will be the one that leads them into the land. And God instructs Joshua, hey, have the priests take the Ark of the Covenant, and they're going to walk out into the middle of the Jordan River. And as soon as their sandals touch the water, the water's going to part and pile up on both sides, and you're going to walk through on dry ground. And the priests are going to stay in the middle, and my entire people are going to walk through the middle of the Jordan River on dry ground. So that's the story that we're picking up today. The word should also be handily in your bulletin, as well as on the screen behind me. We're going to skip around a little bit, but we're going to start in Joshua chapter 4, verse 1. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, 
and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly. And bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, big rock, not a pebble, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Picking up again in verse 21. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. Just as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. That you may fear the Lord your God forever. Picking up again in 5, continuing on. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted. And there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. That's a pretty effective sign. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeoth Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, who were in captivity, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they'd come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. Gilgal sounds like the Hebrew word for to roll. There you go. So would you pray with me? It's a long passage. There's a lot going on. So let's ask God to to shine light on his word this morning. God, we thank you that you give us stories, that you give us memorials, that you are an active and living God. And God, my words are not going to last Uh, They will fall out and quickly be forgotten. But your word, your word you promised stands forever. 
So with that word, would your word be what we learn from today? Would you speak? Holy Spirit, would you teach us? Would we have eyes to see and ears to listen? That we may know, that we may remember who you are, what, we, what you have done and who you've called us. So God, use this time for our good and for your glory. We ask in your great name. Amen. I don't know if uh, many of you are like me, but I tend to be a forgetful person. And my experience is that most humans share that. Have you ever had that experience where you, where you walk into a room to get something and then you kind of freeze and you're like, I, I came for, I came for, it's gone. You have no clue why you walked into that room. You retrace your steps and about five minutes later you forgot that you were ever looking for something. The worst is when you do that multiple times in a row. Uh, my good buddy Hardy Reynolds invited me to have breakfast and fishing with him yesterday. And we, we had a great time. We were very merciful, so we left all the fish in the lake, didn't bring any with us. Mostly because we didn't catch any. Um, but I, I'm getting ready to leave. Had a, have had a great morning. Chrissy was out of town. It was an awesome time together. Head out. Hardy, good seeing you. Well, you're over there. Hardy, good seeing you. Check you later. You get out. I'm about halfway to my car, and I, I kind of pause, and I'm like, something is missing like my wallet, my cell phone, and my car keys. <laughs> so I head back. I left them on the back porch because I thought maybe if I fell out of a canoe, they wouldn't do too well. So I go, I get them. Oh, Hardy, I'm so funny. I forgot things. Let me grab all my stuff. Okay, bye a second time. See you later. Get about halfway out to my car. Pause. Wait. The breakfast sausage that I brought over that we eaten half of, half of was still left. I want to eat that this weekend. I left it in the fridge. Hey, Hardy, just kidding. I haven't left yet. Let me go get this out of the fridge. Oh, there's the sunscreen. I also forgot. Let me grab that. Okay, now, for real, goodbye. I'll see you later. Get about halfway to the car. Dang it, the milk that I brought, which is the only milk that I have in my house, is still in the fridge right next to the sausages that I grabbed, but I conveniently left in there. Hey, Hardy, I just missed you so much. I just wanted to come back. No, I'm forgetful. I forgot again. Grabbed the milk, and that was actually the last thing I had forgotten that day. But it was, a, it was a nice humbling moment where you're like, is my brain, I had coffee, what's going on? <laughs> Apparently that's not the antidote to everything in life, many things. But So we're a pretty forgetful people. I think it's kind of a, a condition of humanity. Uh, and it's worth talking about, I mean, why do we have Memorial Day? We tend to forget, and there's some things that are so important we have to remember. So we set placeholders, don't forget this. Don't forget the sacrifices that have been made, the lives that have been lost, the things that have gone on before you that are so important. Don't forget. That's why we have monuments of the things that we hold dear, of the tragedies that we've experienced, lest we forget. Israel was no less a forgetful people. They forgot about God's faithfulness, as we mentioned before, about five minutes after they saw the ocean part. Oh, yeah, I don't know who that guy was. Forgetful people in the desert all the time. They were saying, God, why, why do you hate us, the one who you know, brought you out here? They were a forgetful people. And, and I love reading those stories because it shows how patient, how kind is when you read in Exodus and Deuteronomy. And there's a great refrain in Deuteronomy that happens four or five, maybe six times. It says, hey, remember this, lest you forget when you get in the land and you get comfortable and you get happy and forget who I am and what I've done. And it says over and over, lest you forget. Basically, don't forget. Don't forget who I am. Don't forget what I have done. That was really highlighted for me when I was listening to the talks from the women's retreat. 
that happened earlier um, last year, which I really benefited from, and I'm liberally stealing material from that. But I've cited my sources. So if you go to digitalbulletin.org, where the order of services, it's linked to all three talks. And that would be a very good follow-up to our sermon today to listen to those throughout the week because it deals in depth of why stories matter and why it's so important that we remember who God is because we are so prone to forget. And it's not just Israel. It's, it's us too. As Allison and I were talking, you get it. We forget really quickly that God was ever faithful to us. I mean, he could have done amazing things in our life and then a new situation comes up where it's super stressful and we're scared and we're like, we're all going to die. And somehow we've forgotten that God was ever kind or faithful to us before. I do it all the time. We need to be reminded. And God, in his graciousness, he knows that we're so prone to forget. So because we are prone to forget, God gives us these two signs, these two memorials that we're going to look at this morning to remind us, to remind us of two really important truths. First, because we're so prone to forget, he gives us this memorial to remind us of who he is. And the second, he gives us this sign to remind us of who we are. And without these two truths, we're just lost. We miss it entirely. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to work through the text, and we're going to look at these two signs and what they show us about God and about ourselves. The first one is God has them create a big pile of rocks. Basically, hey, you're going to take stones out of the middle of the water that's now covered up, and you're going to make a giant pile of rocks here as a reminder. It's a reminder, hey, You didn't lead yourself into the land. You didn't, like, walk on water and get across the Jordan River. Like, that's not what happened. You didn't build rafts. I parted the water and you walked through on dry ground. That was me. I am your God. I am the one who has done that. And what's really cool is he also connects it to the bigger story. I'm not just the God that did it this time. I'm also the one who did it at the Red Sea. Remember your story. Remember the people that you are a part of. He's reminding them, this is who I am. Do not forget it. And it's really cool. He's not just saying, hey, and you remember. He's saying, and tell your kids. Tell everybody about it. Don't keep this to yourself. Your children should know, and they should ask, what's going on there? And you should be able to say, this is what happened. God amazingly parted the sea. We walked through on dry ground over the Jordan River. And there's a twofold purpose in that sign. It's really nice when Scripture tells you why it does certain things. And so if you look at verse 24, God kind of gives you the cheat sheet of the purpose of this sign. And the first is so that all peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. So the first one is, God reminds us of who he is so that the whole world would know. So they would know the strength and the power and the fame of God. God's grace, God's grace, goodness, God's power, it is far too big to be contained in this church. It is far too big to be contained in your family. His fame, his glory will one day cover the whole earth. And that's what it's made for. It's too big. And in here we see there's, there's very, two very different responses that when the fame of God goes out there. One, Rahab, who occurs earlier in the story, says, yeah, I know who your God is, and I want to be attached to that, so I'm going to help you guys out. I'm going to rescue you. I want to be part of that story. And then you have the kings whose hearts basically melt and said, okay, if he controls the water, we're toast. Why even show up? But God's 
power, his glory. The sign is for the whole world to know who he is. And secondly, the second part of that verse is so that we may know, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. You may fear him forever. Now, the Bible talks about fear a little bit differently than we talk about fear. So I was on the men's adventure trip a couple weeks ago. It was great. Uh, We went whitewater kayaking, which was different. You're on your own, so there's no one to help you with your mistakes. You deal with them yourself. Um, And I naturally got flipped out twice. I was fairly fearful of, you know, drowning and dying. I was fairly fearful that my tailbone would never heal from the rocks that I skipped across like a stone. True story, it actually happened. I was pretty fearful of that. We saw a nice snake that seemed like it was like nine feet long, not poisonous. And I was like, you just stay over there. And I'm like, I'm afraid of that snake. Some of you are afraid of the zombie apocalypse. There are many things that we are afraid of. That is not the fear that the Bible is talking about. When it talks about the fear of the Lord, a good way uh, to think about that is that fearing the Lord means to give him wholehearted loyalty. To fear God means to give him ultimate allegiance. To recognize you are the highest and best thing around and I'm going to follow you. Like, you're the only game in town. I'm with you. And I trust you and I depend upon you. And I ultimately give you allegiance over everything in my life. And that should naturally follow when we're reminded of who God is. Right? When we remember that this God, the God who calls you to fear him, is the one who took the chaos of an unmade world and created this beauty we see around us. The mountains of North Carolina that we were in, the rivers, the waterfalls, this God out of nothing created beauty. This God who delivered his people through miraculous signs, through wonders. This is the same God who parted waters to deliver and rescue them. This is the same God who's been faithful for generations and generations to his people. This is the same God who came down to rescue us, who took on flesh himself, who allowed himself to pay the penalty that we had so greatly earned. This is the same God who rose again from the dead so that sin and death would not win the day. That's the God we're talking about today. And when we remember... When we stop and we remember who that is, what other response could we have other than wholehearted loyalty? That's why it's so important. That's why God gives us this memorial, this sign saying, remember who I am. I am not just an idea. I am not just theoretical. I am the God who acts, who has done things, and whose words and whose actions always line up, who always goes together. Remember, remember who I am. And follow me alone. The second point made in this is that God gives us a sign for us to remember who we are. And it's the sign of circumcision. Some of you are like, that's kind of weird. So it's really interesting because God really is always inviting Israel to trust him. And circumcision, the passage alluded to, it takes a few days to kind of recover and heal from. God waits until they're in enemy territory. He, they could do it on one side of the Jordan River before they cross, and that would be a lot more convenient. God waits until they're, you know, kind of surrounded in enemy territory. He's like, now, now you're going to tr- have a real opportunity to trust me. But circumcision looks back to Genesis 17. It is the sign of God's covenant, of God's promise that he made to Abraham, saying, I, I am going to be your God. 
and you are going to be my people, and I'm going to bless you, and through you, the whole world will be blessed. But you, you are my people, and I am your God. You are set apart. You have these promises that are your promises. And so this very distinguishing mark was a mark given to them to say, this is who you are. Because so often, we need to be reminded of who we are. We need to be reminded of our identity. And that's what's, what's happening here with circumcision. I, uh, I'm kind of a sucker for inspirational sports movies. There are a few things that you know, get me a little teary. It's those kind of movies and commercials. Weird, like, sometimes Publix commercials. Come on, Publix, help me out. Stop it. But one movie that I love is Cinderella Man. And you, you may know the scene that I'm going to, but there's a beautiful scene where James Braddock, this boxer, needs to be reminded of who he is. And he's had a rough road, but he's about to go into his last fight against this kind of Goliath of a guy who's actually already killed someone earlier in the boxing ring. So he's, he's in the dressing room waiting. His trainer's kind of giving him a pep talk. And then his wife walks in. And they've not had, she doesn't love that he's fighting. And she's kind of scared he's going to die. And, but she comes up to him and says, remember who you are. You are the bulldog of Bergen. You are the pride of New Jersey. You are everyone's hope. You are your children's hero, and you are the champion of my heart, James J. Braddock. And last night, yes, when I was watching on YouTube, I may have gotten some stuff in my eye. And... But she's saying, remember who you are. As you are about to go face this, remember who you are. You are not just the guy whose career kind of washed out. You are not the guy who was unemployed, trying to make it down on the docks, trying to get food for his family in the Great Depression. Remember who you are. You are James J. Braddock. And we need this reminder of who we are all the time. And the last verse uh, of chapter 5 that we read, 5-9, is a really interesting verse that also reminds them, hey, remember who you're not. And it says that the reproach of Egypt, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt. Do you think it would have been easy for them to be on the edge of the promised land and be like, what are we doing here? We're a bunch of slaves, like, how are we going to take this? How is this going to happen? I think it would have been easy for them to cling to that identity. We're just a bunch of mess-ups. Like, our fathers totally blew it. We've been wandering around the desert for 40 years. Yeah, we're a great plan. Yeah, it's going awesome in our nation. But God says, remember who you are, but also remember who you are not. You are not a group of slaves. You are not identified by your past your history, the sins of your forefathers, what is most true of you, the most signifying identifier of your life is that you are mine. You are my people. I am your God. And that is the fundamental truth that you must remember about yourself. There's a verse in Exodus 19 that I love that talks about who Israel was made to be, a reminder of their identity. And God says, hey, remember, I'm the one that led you out of Egypt. Remember, I'm the one that carried you out on eagle's wings. I'm that guy, so be faithful to me. And you're going to be, out of all the nations, you're going to be to me a treasured possession. Though the whole earth is mine, you are my treasured possession. You are a holy nation, and you are a kingdom of priests, not a ragtable bunch of slaves. So God is reminding them of who they are. 
So who he is, who they are. Why now? What do you think? What do you think God gave them these two signs? I think a lot of it was they were facing down a pretty big mission. They were on the edge of the promised land, and they were about to go have to fight for the territory that God had given them. They were about to have to go take on the people that, you know, 40 years before, everybody said, we're all going to die. They were about to embark on that mission. And you know what? The task was way too big for them. They didn't have chariots. They were kind of this backwoods people that had been wandering around in the desert. The task was way too big for them. And it was full of distractions and obstacles. Basically, if you read the account of Israel wandering in the desert, about every 30 seconds they decided to turn to another god. But, oh, you guys are worshiping that Baal over here? That sounds good. Let's try that. Which usually led in great calamity. And they were about to enter a nation full of other gods, full of idol worship, full of distractions, full of obstacles. And they're on the edge of this great thing that is way too much for them, way too hard. And God says, you have to remember, if you're going to do this, if you're going to go out, if you're going to trust me, you have to remember who I am. And you have to remember who you are. Or there's no point of even showing up. Is it any different for us? In Matthew 28, Jesus gave us a mission. That we are to make disciples of all nations. And you know what? That's a task that's way too big for us. There's a lot of people that don't want to be loved. There's a lot of people that don't want to hear about your relationship with God. There's a lot of animosity. People saying, you're idiots. What are you thinking? And the world's a pretty big place. The task is way too big. And you know what? It is full of distractions. It is full of other things clamoring for our attention, for our affection, things that are telling us other things that are true that we should care about, that we should not care about, money, friends, full of distractions, full of obstacles. So as we stand at the same place, looking out at the mission that we're called to, we have got to remember who God is. We have got to remember who we are. Because then we can go out and embrace the mission God has given us with trust, with hope, with love. But if we, if we don't have those things clearly in our vision, we might as well not show up. But God, in his grace, gives us these two powerful reminders saying, trust me, know who I am, know who you are. So where are you at this morning? We're forgetful people. Have you maybe forgotten who God is? Because here are some things that happen when we forget who God is. We start thinking that the center of the universe is, has two thumbs and is this guy. I'm great. I'm kind of awesome. I can do anything. Like, you know, the world kind of revolves around this little circle right here. It's kind of the center of the universe. When we forget who God is, we start living for things that are far too small. We start thinking things like, you know, I look around me and if if I just had that perfect Pinterest family, if I had that perfect home decorated wonderfully where like the magical like fairy elves cleaned it every week and I didn't have to and the house was nice like all the other people around me and their kids would like sit quietly in church like mine don't and if I just had that, then I'd really be okay. If we forget who God is, we start finding our hope uh, in other things that are far too small. You know, if people just really liked me, you know, if, if I got kind of that level of, like, respect and popularity that I, I know that I deserve, yeah, 
I might be okay. Or if we forget who God is, we get swayed by the crazy waves that do attack our lives. When tragedy strikes us, when hard times come, when disaster, we're tempted to go, we're all going to die. We we don't have a chance. When we forget who God is, fear and anxiety can take root in our heart and not let go because we don't see that there's something bigger and stronger. How about you this morning? Have you forgotten who God is? Do you remember in your circumstances that this is the God who made everything, who created the world, who loves you and knows you by name? Or this morning, have you forgotten who you are? Like I said, when we forget who we are, it's, it's tempting to think like, this, this is it. This is the center of the world. And you are wonderful. You are beloved. You are full of honor. But it's not because you're awesome. It's because God calls you his. It's because he has redeemed you and given you an identity as a son of the king. It's not that you just started out awesomely. It's because of what he has done for you, how he has made you, and how he has restored you. Or, if we forget who we are, we're tempted to think that we are only as good as our last mistake. Uh, That we are only as good as maybe the college that we've gotten into. Or the friend group that has brought us in to care for and to love them. Or the, the cool sports or hobbies we're into. Or when we forget who we are, sometimes we let very different things identify us and become the core of our identity. And God says to us this morning, the same thing he says to in his word, you are not your background. You are not your shame. You are not the secret things of your life you pray to God that no one finds out about because it would obliterate you. That is not what is most true of you. You are not your faults. You are not your family background. You are not your mess-ups. You are not your screw-ups. That is not what is most true of you. What is most true of you is that you are mine. And God says to you this morning, don't you dare, don't you dare believe the lies of the world and the lies Satan would like you to believe that you suck. That you can't do it. That you don't have, what are you? You're just wasting time and space. But God says to you, no, what you are is you are a child of mine. You are mine. And this morning, if your hope is in Christ, if you follow him, that is the most true thing about all of who you are. That is the core of your identity. And don't you forget it. And if that is not where you are this morning, If you're not sure you hope in Christ, if you're not sure you buy it, this is far better than anything else you'll ever find. It's the only game in town. Because otherwise, you live wrapped up in your shame. You live wrapped up only hoping in your accomplishments and maybe some good luck. But what is offered for you is a brand new identity where God says, I have taken your shame And I bore it on a cross so that what is most true of you is that I call you my child. That the God of the universe says, you are mine. You have been made clean. You are a new creation. You are restored. And that is what is most true of you. If that's not your identity this morning, today's a good day to embrace that. Because it is a beautiful, wonderful thing that God has done for you. And there's a lot of people that would love to talk to you about it if you're not sure about it. I'm one Most people around you would be happy to. Is that what is most true of you? That you are his. 
So we've talked about it's important, right? We've established it's pretty important that we remember who God is. It's pretty important that we remember who we are. What are some things that we can do to, let's make it practical. What are some ways that we can do a better job remembering? One is why we had Allison come up this morning to share our stories, to talk about the ways that we've seen God be faithful so that we remember. We remember he's not contained in a book. He is at work today, constantly. That's why we encourage you, be in a community group because it's an opportunity to be loved by other people, to be reminded, hey, remember who God is. I know this seems awful. Remember who you serve. Remember who loves you. Remember who holds your life in his hand. And they're reminding others, remember who you are. Remember you're a child of the king. We remember by reading his word, the stories of his faithfulness. We remember in prayer. Sometimes we remember by keeping a journal. Like Allison said, she had to sift through the journals and like, okay, which story do I tell? Because I have a lot. Sometimes we do it by, you know, not uh, self-talk. You know, reminding yourself. There's some days you just feel like, man, I'm garbage. Sometimes you just have to like verbally remind yourself that is not what is most true of me. But we have to remember because we are so prone to forget. But God gives us these beautiful signs to remind us. And two final signs he gives us, two that we celebrate a lot, are our baptism. That is a sign where God says, you are a part of my people. I have placed my mark of my promises upon you. Whether you remember it or not, you look back at that. That is a place where I've said you are mine. And just like the children of the Israelites who saw those rocks, they would still have to embrace God for themselves. But it's a reminder of who he is and what he has done. And we celebrate the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, a tangible reminder that your reproach, that your shame was rolled away, not through circumcision, but through the death of Christ on a cross. It is a meal that reminds us continually, I love you and I have gone to great lengths to make you mine. And I am redeeming all things. And this is part of your story. This is the God you serve. This is the one who nourishes you and ministers to you. Remember Remember, two things God puts in front of us. Don't forget who I am. The God of the universe who flung the stars into space, who also says, I know how many hairs are on your head. I know you as my child, and I have brought you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Remember who I am. Remember what I'm capable of. Remember the promises that I've made that I will make all things new. Remember. And remember who you are. Remember that the God of the universe knows you by name. That he cared enough to redeem not just a people for himself, but to redeem you particularly. To make you his own. That's kind of amazing. The God of the universe walked around so that you could be in a relationship with him. So that your sin and your shame were not the most defining marks of you. Remember who you are. Remember that he says, you are mine. And as we remember those truths, as we see them clearly, clearly, let us go out and embrace the mission that he has given us. That we would go and make the name of Christ, the fame of Christ known wherever we go. To the colleges that we're getting ready to take off to, to the jobs that we're going to embrace Monday morning, to the families, to the hard things, to the good things. Go out with those two things in front of you and make his name known. We serve a good God who is gracious to us in our propensity to forget and gives us these great reminders of who he is and of who we are. 
May we see them clearly today. Would you pray with me? Ah, Father, thank you. Thank you that you just don't leave us in our, our confusion, in our mess, in the shame of our lives, in our fear, in our anxiety, in our pride. You do not leave us alone, but you meddle. You engage, you embrace, and you give us tangible, powerful reminders of who you are. The God of the universe, the Redeemer, our Savior, our Lord. Holy God. And you give us powerful reminders, tangible reminders, that we are yours. So many things assault our identities every day, but you powerfully pull us back to say, you are my child, and we say thank you. God, we praise you. Would you allow those two things to drive us to make your name known, to love others well, to tell your story with confidence and not fear because we know who you are and we know who you have called us to be. So God, we thank you. We ask that your name would be honored and praised as we live this out this week. Amen.